John chapter 15. If, uh, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, that's okay. Uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you. You can open that to John chapter 15. I always like to remind you uh, of where these words come from and that you can follow along and you can see them for yourself uh, as, as, a, as, 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 as a group of people who attempt to understand God's Word. We do it together. We do it in community. And so I would like for you to see where those come from. This morning we're going to be John chapter 15, a, a very famous, if you want to call it that, or a very popular, that might be a better word, a very popular paragraph in, in our text, uh, or in our, in our scripture, especially in the Gospel of John, is the vine and the branches. And that's just simply what I've titled this, this sermon this morning, the vine and the branches. We're we'll reading verses 1 through 11, and Lord willing, it is our attempt to, it's going to be my attempt to cover all those. Not, not in depth, but it's a parable, so we're going to, We'll cover this here this morning. John chapter 15, starting in verses 1 through verse 11, and God's inspired and errant word reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father loved me, so also I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And now this morning, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this text for us to help us to understand not only its meaning, but also its application. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The vine and the branches. The vine and the branches. From the 13th chapter through the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, we have what is often referred to as the upper room discourse, or the discourse of the upper room. And scattered throughout these few chapters, if you remember, uh, these, the, these, these few chapters are taken all in one evening. So it's chapters 13 through 17, the 17th chapter being what we know as the Lord's or the high priestly prayer, if you will. Uh, but they all happen on Thursday evening as we would understand it. And they all happened in, in, in a matter of a few hours. And though it may take us a few weeks or a few months to get, to get through this text, we need to remember that it all happened within the one conversation. It all happened within one evening. And sometimes I know for myself it's good to be reminded of that. And so in these, ver in these chapters, verses, especially chapter 13 through chapter um, uh, 16, throughout these chapters, uh, much is said, at least the beginning of these chapters especially, much is, is said of a betrayer 
that is coming. And Jesus says, someone is going to be betraying me. Somebody is going to be betraying us, if you will. Also scattered throughout these few chapters, much is given or many words are spoken uh, that have conditional, have a conditional clause with it, if, and much is spoken there of if you are my true follower, this is what it will look like. This is what it will look like. And so much description is given of what a true follower of Jesus looks like. And that's exactly what we're going to continue here today. In the 13th chapter, Jesus starts by washing the disciples' feet. I mean, something that we can't necessarily understand in our culture, but for their culture, it was certainly not not, not something anybody would have done outside of, of a slave, and not even just any slave, uh, but someone that would have been non-Jewish would have done that task. Uh, it wasn't even uh, acceptable for a, uh, for a Jewish person to wash other Jewish people's uh, feet, uh, as I understand the historical context of that. And yet here Jesus uh, stoops down and does the menial task that none of his disciples would stoop down and do, And yet Jesus demonstrates and models what it looks like to be true servant leadership, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so as he uh, stooped down and washed the disciples' feet, and as they sat down to eat that meal, uh, Jesus makes the alarming announcement that although that they were all washed, there is one among them that is unclean, that is unclean. And so after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus says, a slave is not above his master. And this is exactly what he just modeled for them. A slave is not above his, above his master. Uh, therefore, he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And I just want to give you a little bit of a snapshot of this similar line of thinking that Jesus spoke, all in the context, remember, all in the context of a couple hours in the same room, in that same location, on that same night. And Jesus went on to say, and he said, by this uh, uh, men will know that you are my disciples, if, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one an- for me, you will also keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And he says it once here in the negative, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And he continues again with that, that conditional clause, if, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You are my friends if you do what I command you what I command you. That's all in the context of the one evening. And so we see the importance uh, of what Jesus is stating here, what Jesus is establishing here on the night that he will depart from them. But here, coming to the text that is before us in this 15th chapter, we have the final of Jesus' last seven I am statements. So the, the seven I am statements, we're, we're quite familiar with those also uh, in the Gospel of John, and maybe we don't necessarily know them, but we certainly heard about them. And so today is the last one of those. Uh, just to remind you of the others, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then here Jesus said, I am 
the true vine. Of course, I am referring back to, to Abraham and how God revealed himself to Abraham, <clears throat> um, or I should say Moses there in the desert. And as he came to that burning bush, he said, who should I say that I am? Who should I say you are? And he said, I am. I am who I am. And here, uh, Jesus' reference to these seven I am statements are clearly his declaration or his proclamation that he is deity, that he and the Father are indeed one. And here in this, this final seventh I am statement, Jesus is claiming, indisputably claiming, that I am the sustainer. I am the sustainer. As you think about a vine and branches growing from that vine. Jesus does not claim to be a vine. You see here, it opens up with this beginning, this beginning clause here. I am the true vine. Jesus doesn't say that I am a vine or I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Of course, by saying I am the true vine, he certainly seems to be imp- uh, uh, imply at least that there are other vines that are not true. This is, this is a pattern of Jesus to be able to say such a thing. He's done it before where he said, I am the good shepherd, as opposed to some shepherds that are not good that you find in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. There are false shepherds among you that are false shepherds that'll, that'll come in and want to steal the sheep. Well, obviously a false shepherd is not going to be recognized. It's not going to be seen as a false shepherd. There, if it was, right, the sheep would scatter, the sheep would leave. I think that's one of the things uh, that sometimes we get wrong, that we just assume we can recognize a false shepherd, that we just assume we'll recognize a leader, a teacher, a vine that is false. And yet over and over and over, the biblical text would say that, no, I'm, I'm warning you about these things. I'm telling these things because when you see them, then you'll recognize because we don't recognize those. And this is where we're going to be going a little bit this morning. Uh, uh, on, on that particular thought, and that is recognizing the true shepherd, recognizing the true vine, and what it really means to be abide. To you know, the word abide is kind of an old old English word. Actually, it's just to continue in, continue attached to that vine. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up here a little bit. I'm getting excited. You know, I, I think about the words of my friend that I met uh, in Alaska, from Colorado. And during our, our morning devotional times and for two weeks together, people got to know me. I can only hide who I am for a couple of days and then they really find out who I am. Um, and he would all say, no, no, calm down, not James. Calm down, calm down, not calm down. I could just hear him say it. Uh, I called him Mr. Rogers. He was such a sweet older guy and, and he would always remind me, calm down. So I'm going to calm down here this morning. Uh, and I want, I want, I want to, I want to stay focused here and not get ahead of myself. But this is a parable. And so we must be careful. We must be careful not to parse every word, not to parse every prepositional phrase, but understand it as a parable. Understand it as a story. Understand it as an analogy. And as with a parable, it has one meaning. It only has one meaning that Jesus is drawing from this. And so we want to, we want to look at what that meaning is. We want to look at what is Jesus saying here this morning. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. That's what he's saying. And although this is a parable, we must understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am the only one who is truly your sustainer. Sure, there are other vines. Sure, there are other attractions. Sure, there are other distractions. But I alone am the only one who can truly sustain you. 
Certainly other things can look attractive. Certainly other places that we can align with or certainly other, if we want to get there, if we want to go there again. Certainly there's other teachers. Certainly there's other teachings that are more comfortable, that are more aligned, that make us more comfortable, if you will. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. I am the only true sustainer. That's it. That's who I am. It is only I who can truly give you all the nutrients that you need. It is only I who can truly give you all the water that you need. It is only I who can provide what you need to produce good fruit. It is only I who can give you those things. We cannot miss what Jesus is saying on this final, in this last seven I am statements when he says, I am the true vine. It is only through me that you will get your shot of caffeine. Uh, It is only through me. I don't know if that's good or not. But it's only through me where true life can be found. So first and foremost, Jesus is saying, lasting sustenance comes through and only through me. Certainly other things may last for a while, but lasting sustenance Sustenance comes only through me. Second here, uh, what Jesus is saying, we see it in verse 1, right? Second thing that Jesus is saying is that not only is, is he the only, he's the only true vine, but it is the Father who is the vine dresser. You see that? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Well, that's kind of a funny word too, isn't it? It's not, not necessarily a word that we hear farmers use, but maybe grape. Arbiters or great growers, hmm. vineyard growers. Maybe they use that word, uh, but it, but it's certainly a um, the father is the one who cultivates the land. It is the father who is the gardener, right? Maybe that's a better. Word. It's the father who is the gardener. It's the father who who hoes the ground. It's the father who who fertilizes the ground. It's the father who who waters the ground. That's what he's saying. And next in verse two and three, that we see that the work of the vine dresser. And so we see in verse 1, two clear statements. They're proclamations. It is what it is. I am the true vine. Statement 1. Second, it is my Father who is the grower. It is my Father who is the farmer. It is my Father who is the vine dresser. Verse 2. Every branch in me. Jesus is going to hone down a little bit now. He says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch branch that bears fruit, he prunes, clears, so it may bear more fruit, more fruit. So this is the work of the Father. The work of the vine dresser, the work of the Father is to assure a good fruit production. A good fruit production. How does he do this? Well, it's it's right here. It is. It's quite clear by cutting off non-fruit producing branches, by clearing away non-fruit uh, uh, producing branches. Non-fruit producing branches are those that that are not growing fruit, right? They're, they're, that they're not growing fruit. Now, let me let me make a leap forward. Non-producing branches. This is a parable. Non-producing branches are those who do not repent, right? I mean, those who not confess, those who do not repent. That's a non-producing fruit branch that is being spoken of. The first sign of life is a bud. But before a bud can form, a seed must die. 
Until you die to self, there can be no bud, there can be no life, there can be no fruit. There can be no fruit. You might have uh, my wife, uh, as you probably probably know, but she likes to grow plants, and my office is kind of overtaking with plants also and things like that. But but sometimes if a plant doesn't quite get what it wants, it becomes very leggy. There's not very many leaves out there, and you gotta gotta nip that one off and and let it let it from that part that it's cut and, and branch out from there, right? It's exactly what with the analogy. That's exactly what Jesus is saying is saying here. And so pruning fruit branches, so the ones who don't, are not producing any branches, those who, those apple trees or, or whatever, those, those vineyards, those grape uh, vines that are not producing grapes, they're cut off. And those that are producing grapes, once in a while they need pruned a bit to encourage them to do even more, to produce even more grapes. So pruning fruit branches, branches so that they may produce more fruit. This is the work of the gardener. And you all know this, right? I mean, this isn't no secret. Jesus isn't writing mysteries here, right? It's a parable, and we know exactly what Jesus is saying in this parable, do we not? And so I'm not saying anything uh, new to you here this morning, but producing branches are groomed to produce more and better fruit. More and better fruit. So there's a couple things, though, we do need to take a step back from, and we need to understand and look at a little bit a uh, uh, couple words. One is prune. Well, we know what prune means. It also can be mean as cleaning. We can clean the branch, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's it's the same word, actually. And we see the play on the word that Jesus uses here in this parable. Uh, but pruning or cleaning are interchangeable. They can, they can be the, the very same thing. And then we're also going to take a little bit of, of fruit. What is meant by fruit? And sometimes I think maybe we confuse fruit with works, right? And so we want to look at that just a little, a little bit here this morning uh, for the time uh, that I, I have left and maybe use a little bit that I don't have left. So nonetheless, prune is just simply that, is to remove uh, uh, the growth, superfluous growth, growth that isn't producing what it needs to be, be producing. Uh, and, and it's also to clean. It's, it's a play on two words, as I already mentioned, a pruning of a plant, and it's a cleaning process. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's the job of the vine dresser. And this is agrarian culture. It's a culture that they clearly understood. They understood farming. They understood vines. They understood fruit producing. And that's the analogy. That's what Jesus is using the parable that they, they have here because they understood what that means. Well, digging into this just a little bit, in my own own studies, I did find this to be somewhat interesting. Uh, in Hebrew, the word pruning is the same meaning, of course, uh, but in the Hebrew lexicon, it gave it a little bit of a different nuance to it that I, I found helpful, and so I'm going to give it to you this morning. And it simply said this, it is to be cultivated, tended, cut back in order to grow healthier or to produce more fruit. And I was like, yeah, that's a little a fuller definition than, 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 the, than the Greek lexicons were giving me. And I, I like that. Because that's exactly what it is saying, is it not? And it gave me a place to uh, a reference for how the word was used. And, and I found that also very enlightening. And it's from Isaiah, the fifth chapter. And if we would, if you were to turn to Isaiah chapter five, you, you can write it down if you like and look at it for yourself. Uh, and I'll give you a little context of it just a little bit. But, but Isaiah chapter five, I want to read those for you this morning. Um, as I continue to attempt to work towards my point. So Isaiah chapter five, verses five and six. This is what Isaiah is writing here. 
the words that he was given by God to write. So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. See, this is common language for them. Now let me tell you what I'm going to do with my vineyard. I'm going to remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its walls, and it will become trampled to the ground. I will lay it waste. Listen to this sentence. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. No rain on it. Now, uh, since I can't spend a lot of time on that, I just want to give you an overall paragraph maybe of the context of this verse to give you a sense of exactly what what we're saying and what Jesus is saying here. See, this verse is in the context of God's rebellious people. God has had enough. The day of reckoning is coming. God will judge. And yet God has and is preparing a remnant. The evidence that God has pulled back, that God has left the people to go the way the people want to go is lack of pruning. Lack of pruning. God says, look, I'm not even going to work with you anymore. I'm going to let you go. And what does Isaiah say? When I let you go, briars and thorns and thistles can grow up. I don't need to paint you any pictures there. You can follow the connection, can you not? This is what happens when God removes His pruning, when God removes His his gardening skills. I want to take you one one more place, and that's in Hebrews. You might be ahead of me there already, but in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. I want to just read a little bit there as I continue to drive this point home. And that is in Hebrews chapter 12. If we looked at verse 4, if you were to look at verse 4, it says, you know, the author of Hebrews here is writing that, that, look, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood, right? You have not resisted to your own point of shedding blood, striving against sin. Well, I don't think that's necessarily serious language that he's being used, but he's saying, look, we haven't battled against against the things that want to ensnare us, the things that want to trap us, the things that want to take a hold of us. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, you haven't done battle against those vices to the point of shedding blood yet, meaning that you haven't given it all that you can possibly give. And then here he's going to give the analogy of a father who disciplines his son. It's not language we like, especially not in 2021. But he goes on and he says, Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Now he's quoting the Old Testament here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. For it is the discipline, for it is discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Well, we sometimes, yeah, anyways. But if you are without discipline, or which of all of you takers, you're illegitimate. You're not even truly a son if your father doesn't care enough about you to put a little discipline in your life. That's exactly what Isaiah said. If the Lord is going to withdraw, no more pruning for you. Okay, I don't really like to be pruned. It'd be just fine with me. That's the way we often want to say it, right? But verse 11 says, All discipline for the moment 
We can, we can easily swap out words, though to be fair, though to be accurate. It's not the same word, but we could certainly swap it out there. All pruning for the moment seems not to be joyful. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained, those who have been disciplined by it, afterwards, what? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm reminded by one of my favorite verses. I have, have many, so I hate to say it that way, but when I, I quote to, because I guess anyways, let me just get on with it. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, where Jesus says to Peter, he calls him by his Jewish name, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission from you. Not that Satan could demand the permission. God ultimately needed to give him the permission. But Satan demanded permission from you that he would like to sift you like wheat. He would like to bring these difficulties into my life. But the very next verse, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, right? That when you turn, when you come under out of that sifting, that you will encourage, that you will strengthen your brothers. That's what he's saying right there. This is exactly the sense that we must understand what is in our text here before us this morning. The first step of the pruning process is repentance, is a recognition that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And unless we can understand that, we are illegitimate sons. Unless we can understand that, He will withdraw His pruning from us. How are we convicted? We're convicted, of course, you know my first thing I'm going to say, is you're convicted by the Word of God, right? We're convicted as we read our Scriptures. I'm constantly convicted as I read through my Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit illuminates that text for me. The number one job of the Holy Spirit, well, maybe number two, uh, is to illuminate the text for us. And we're convicted by that. What do we do with that? We repent. We repent. That's when fruit starts to happen. Life events. How do we respond when bad things happen to you because they do, they will, they already have? How do you respond? Now, I, I should add a footnote here and be quite clear. I'm not in any way suggesting, nor do the Scriptures suggest, that God brings bad things into your life. We are living under the curse, right? And so bad things do happen. But when bad things happen to our life, how do we respond? Do they drive us from Christ? Only two ways to go. Do they drive us from Christ or do they drive us to Christ? How do you respond when everything you've worked for is stripped away from you? How do you respond when your spouse walks out on you? How do you respond when you lose your business? How do you respond when you lose everything you have? How do you respond when your wife or your spouse is unfaithful to you? How do you respond? Does it drive you to Christ? Or does it drive you from Christ? It's your choice. The crisis isn't going to go away. It's your choice. What is the fruit the Father wants us to produce? What is it? Repentance. Repentance. Righteousness. Did you remember that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11? That after the discipline, after the pruning, 
the fruitfulness of righteousness, that relationship with Christ. So many people talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Everyone that has been born, everyone who is currently born, or everyone who is born has a personal relationship with Jesus. Some aren't going to end up so well. So to say that I got a personal relationship with Jesus tells me nothing. Nothing. Everyone has a relationship with God. If they acknowledge it or not, fruit is achieved by the pruning. By the word of God is by life events. Those are the two. There's many others, but those are probably the two biggest uh, that I could offer you uh, here this morning. You know, often we also want to, uh, and and I I have to go here because your mind has already been here. Um, Often we think of the fruit of the spirit when we think of producing more fruit. And so I want to, I want to go there because I know you are because you're, you're good students of the Bible, right? And so, uh, in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23 is where we find them. And the fruit of the spirit is what? Yeah, you all know it, right? You all know it. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all the fruit of the spirit. But let me be very, very careful here. Do only Christians possess those? I think an atheist can also possess those. I mean, sometimes some atheists are some of the nicest people I've ever met. So to say that this in of itself, it has a context, we're not necessarily going to go there, but those things, now indeed those things should be evident in the Christian's life. I'm not saying that. But just to say that that is why I'm connected to the true vine. See, this is what I want you to understand. Just to say that, look at the works that I'm doing. Look at the homeless that I'm building a house for. Look at the hungry that I'm feeding. Look at the naked that I'm clothing. Those are good things. But they're not unique to Christianity. What is Jesus talking about here in our text? In our verse, I want to read for you once again, chapter 15. And I'm not going to because I see I do not have the time. But you know what it says. It says, abide with him, abide to the vine, stay there, connected. Continue to stay connected to that vine. See, Jesus also uses it in the negative sense. I always like to give both sides to everything, at least according to me. So John chapter 3, verse 36, I think it's important. Jesus uses it in the negative, the same word abide. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide with him, on him, will continue on him. It's the same word. It's exactly the same word. Which is it? Which is it for you this morning? It's a question we must answer. But I want to... um, bring this thing to a close. And I want to remind you of the context of this text once again. It's probably not the way you've heard this passage preached before, and I'm sorry about that unless it's helpful. But I want to remind you once again the context of this text. It's Thursday night. They're sitting in the room, and Jesus is giving all those instructions. And Jesus is saying, someone is going to be betraying me. What did they say? Yeah, yeah. my thoughts about Peter. Hmm. And Thomas, you know, he's always doubting. Peter, he's just shooting off at the mouth. No, they said, who could it possibly be? 
couldn't possibly be I. Could it be I? They were even questioning themselves, could it be I? When Judas was revealed as the betrayer, they didn't say, we knew it was him. Anybody who has a money bag, you got to watch out for those people. No, he had a great responsibility among the twelve. No one suspected Judas. Judas was the branch that needed to be cut off. Keep it in the context. Judas was the branch that needed to be cut off. How did they recognize Judas? They didn't. I, I, I want to bring this here home in a very sober, sobering way. As we think about abiding into that true vine and the reason for the pruning, the reason for abiding there is not that I can feed the hungry. All those things we need to do. But it's our relationship with God. Jesus wants to produce a righteousness within us. That is the fruit. From that righteousness, these good deeds will come. But good deeds do not equal abiding in the vine. I want to offer you a name this morning of Ravi Zacharias. Who has not heard of that name? Who has not heard of the fall that he has taken? That story has messed me up. I'm not even an apologist. I'm not much into apologetics all that much. Sorry, Joel. I'm not much into apologetics all that much. Often apologetics are more from a from a philosophical perspective, and, and I just as soon stay more biblically, but not that it's not biblical. I'm not saying that. Don't. Uh, but it's it's often it's, it's an argument for those who who uh, who don't believe in the scriptures. Well, I've, without the scriptures, I have nothing, and so I haven't really gotten into that. But anyways, here you got a guy who would look at this guy's life and say he's not connected to the true vine. Who would look at this guy's life and say, there's no possible, what a great man of God he is. And we find out he's a branch that needed to be cut off. He's a Judas branch. Now, I, I, I can't read a man's heart. I, I can't read what happens the moment of death. I can't, I, I, I can't read any of that. So I, I'm absolute, I have no idea the location, heaven or hell, for Ravi Zacharias. And that's not what I'm saying here this morning. All I'm saying, do we need any more proof that we cannot look at the manipulation that humans can do to us to convince us that we are true Christians? One word, child of the devil. Right? That's serious. Abiding starts with pruning. Don't waste good prunings. When God brings those difficult things or life brings those difficult things into your life, say, God, what would you like me to learn from this? What would you like to me to, to teach me in this situation? Verse 8, and I'll close with this, I promise. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Therefore, prove or therefore become. Prove isn't the best word, though it's a direct translation. Become is a better one. Therefore, you can become my disciples. God glorifies in your righteousness with your relationship with him. First and foremost, that's his concern this morning. What's your relationship like with God? We all have one, if we believe in him or not. What's your relationship like with your creator this morning? Father, I, I, I pray I pray your protection upon each one of us as um, possibly the evil one comes to you and says uh, and demands to sift one of us, calls us by name, 
Father, I pray that You will give us strength, that You will give us the courage, and that Your Spirit would give us the power um, to live faithful to You. So I pray, Father, as Your Spirit searches the hearts and minds, it is only You who can really reveal to ourselves the vine we're connected to. I pray that You would do the work of pruning, that You would work, do the work of cutting that only You can do, Father, so that we can become closer and closer to You. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.